Church, it's always good to gather in the house of the Lord, and whether you're in this campus or you're in another campus, just remember that we are gathering as the church of Jesus Christ. And we are Christians on a mission to grow up into the fullness of Christ, Christians that are, are equipped for every good work, working together as a body as each part does its work so that we can impact the world around us as Christ is exalted in and through our lives. Amen? If you believe that, shout amen in the house this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we submit our lives to you in the name of Jesus. We wish to gather as your church and study your word that always produces fruit and brings transformation and restoration in our lives. Lord, we ask today that you would strengthen the focus of our minds and open the eyes of our hearts so that your word would prosper in us and accomplish all that it has been sent forth to do. Lord, as we continue on the series of the book of Acts this morning, we ask that you would show us from your word today the type of character that we need to steward the gifts that you have so graciously given us. We ask this in the magnificent name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're welcome to take your seats this morning. Church, we are in the book of Acts again this morning. We began last week in, in chapter 6 by looking at the church's need to bring organization because some of the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food. In order to make sure that their needs were met, somebody had to oversee the distribution of food and, and serve the tables. So they decided to select seven men of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to put in charge of this task. You see, the church was on the verge of an evangelism explosion. They were ready to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to the Gentiles. But before they could even move out of their own town, they needed to bring some structure and organization to areas where the enemy was trying to bring dissension and disunity. And it was so important that the apostles could carry on devoting themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word that they gathered the multitude of the disciples, the multitude that believed in Christ and now were devoted learners of Christ. So the apostles summoned them and, and then asked them to choose from among themselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, so that they could appoint them over this important business. And the apostles, being full of the Holy Spirit themselves and wisdom themselves, could identify the gifting that was coming through in the people that God was adding to the church. And instead of them taking control of it themselves, they said, you know what? If this is what the Lord has laid in your heart, these are your people. You take care of the whole thing. Yes, we'll support you. Yes, we'll pray for you and bring the necessary structure. But you serve the gift that the Holy Spirit has imparted into you. You carry the heart of Jesus inside of you, and so you be the hands and feet of Jesus in this situation. It was a great example of trust and love. And so in verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch a convert to, Jude, to Judaism. It's a bit of a tongue twister there. 
And once they were chosen, it says in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. And church, the laying on of hands is not some weird thing that Christians do just to be touchy and feely. This was a way of showing these men that, listen, we're with you. We're with you in solidarity. We put our hands on you. We connect to you. We link to you, right? We empower you with our prayers and our trust and our support. And that's one of the reasons why as believers, we lay hands on people when we pray. We are showing our solidarity and trust and support in what God is calling you to and what God is calling you to do. If you need direction or if you need healing, we lay hands on you. You are a part of the same body that we are a part of, so we stand with you in unified purpose. It is a symbolic gesture of spiritual unity and oneness. Even Timothy was set apart into the ministry by the laying on of the hands by the elders. So it's not just some weird thing that, that Christians do. Amen? But in verse 7, we get to the real results of bringing structure and allowing people to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit birthed in them. Let's look at what it says. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Church, the word of God kept on spreading. And as I said last week, the purpose of any church organization or structure is to add and to multiply what the Lord has entrusted us with. It's to steward the work of ministry according to God's design so that the gospel can continue spreading to the ends of the earth. The church has a mandate to fulfill. And the Holy Spirit has gifted each of us to play a pivotal role in fulfilling this mandate. We concluded with that passage from Ephesians 4 last week where it says, If we speak the truth in love, notice the word if, if we speak the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we all have something to bring. We all have a gift to serve. And a mature body, a mature and powerful church, is one where all members are doing their part and serving their gifts. But certain truths have to be spoken in love for us to get to that place. Amen? You can say amen to that as well. And what I want us to focus on, church, as we go through the rest of Acts chapter 6 and into chapter 7, is the type of character that we need to minister the gifts that we have with courage, with integrity, and with faith, and with love. We're going to be focusing on godly attributes or godly characteristics because we don't want to waste the divine gifts that we have received from the Lord because our character isn't in alignment with our gift. And to our benefit in Acts chapter 6, this is where we meet Stephen. He becomes the main character in the narrative through the rest of the chapter and into chapter 7. And that's where we pick up our text this morning from chapter 6, verse 8. Have you got your Bibles open? Let's read together from verse 8. Now Stephen, 
a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the free men, freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. As you move over to Acts chapter 7 verse 1, the high priest said, Are these charges true? And Stephen gives a very long answer all the way through chapter 7, explaining the matters of the Old Testament how long-suffering God has been with His people, and how the Old Testament is, been, is pointing to Jesus. He proceeds to call them stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and in hearing. Needless to say, this didn't go down very well, and in response to his damning answer, verse 54 says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And then in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. What an incredible man Stephen was. He was put in charge of serving tables, and yet he did signs and wonders. He was not a prophet, but yet he was a great preacher. Not an official deacon, and yet a servant. Not an apostle, but yet a miracle worker. He was a very unique man. And from what we can tell, church, he had a very short career. The church is very new and very young, and so he is a very new believer. But the vast grasp that he had of the Old Testament, church, is enough to be laid out in an entire chapter because of its accuracy and because of its richness. He is a man whom everybody deemed to be a servant and yet a miracle worker, a preacher, and the first Christian martyr. We need to know this man. We need to learn about his character. 
This is a man, church, who is great by every divine measure. He's full of everything that, that every believer should be full of. He is what you would call a transitional personality. Because you see, the testimony being preached to the Jews by Peter and the apostles is soon to be closed. The testimony to the Gentile world begun by Paul is soon to be opened. Between Peter and Paul and Saul, Stephen is like a bridge. He's chosen by Peter and the apostles. He's murdered at the hands of Saul. He's a transitional man, a bridge, so to speak. He is the catalyst for the dispersion and the scattering of the church. It was because of his martyrdom and the persecution that was launched at the point of his martyrdom that the believers scattered beyond Jerusalem. And you know what? That was the purpose of God in his martyrdom. Because remember, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And what was going to send them to Judea? What was going to send them to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world? Not a missionary commission, persecution, the threat of death, martyrdom. And as we read in chapter 8, it is the very death of Stephen that becomes the catalyst to fulfill the promises that Jesus said the gospel would reach the world. He was the forerunner of Paul. He takes the first step beyond the Jews in the direction of the Gentiles. And the mantle of Stephen falls strangely on Saul, one of Stephen's most bitter enemies. His name, Stephen, is the Greek name Stephanos, which means victor's crown. And he actually won that in his martyrdom. And even though he had such a short career, he had made a massive impact for the, the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a graphic testimony that is not the length of a man's life that establishes his importance and his influence. In fact, the length of a man's life has sometimes very little to do with its impact. And as we look at the life of Stephen, I want us to look at four attributes of a man that got it right. A man that we can learn from. And I want us to look at his choosing, his character, his courage, and his countenance. His choosing, his character, his courage, and his countenance. So number one, let's, let's look at his choosing. Back in, in chapter 6, verse 3, it says that they were looking for men of good reputation who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Stephen was one of those men. And verse 5 says that he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. You see, out of all these thousands and, and thousands and thousands of men, he's the first one on the list of seven. And it says specifically of Stephen in verse 5 that he is a man full of faith. The word full in that verse is the Greek word play race, which means full, filled up, complete, or a totality of fullness. Which is to say that Stephen's life is dominated by faith. He walks by faith. He is controlled by faith. The, the idea of full is complete control. Church, when you say, for example, someone is filled with rage or filled with anger or filled with madness, 
or filled with joy or, or filled with love, you mean that is a dominating emotion. That is a dominating force at that point in that person's life. You see, the things that control you and the things that dominate you are the things that fill you. And I wonder, church, if we had to stop for a moment and consider our own lives and our own circumstances and our thought patterns and emotions related to those circumstances, what are we filled with? Are we filled with faith or are we filled with fear and anxiety? Are we filled with hope in the season even though we're going through a tough season or are we filled with doubt? Are we filled with, uh, with trust in God's providence over our lives or are we putting our trust in, in man-made provisions? Do we believe when God says in His Word that the number of our days on earth are already determined and that non, not one of us will live one minute beyond that time that God has allotted to us? Or do we prefer to take those odds into our own hands? If you look at Stephen, what you find is that he believed in everything that God said. He believed in the authenticity and validity of the Old Testament. He also believed that God determined and God ruled history. You see, the general belief in the world today is that kings and governors and politicians and the media make history. Stephen believed that God made history, that God wrote history. History was all a revelation of God's character and God's purpose and God's plan. He believed so strongly in the God of the Old Testament. He believed so strongly in the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, and His own hope of eternal life and welcome into heaven that He was willing to bet His life on it. This is the type of man that they chose for the work of ministry, and I think this is the type of man we would all love to have as our mentor. So that's his choosing. Now, let's look at number two, his character. When the Sanhedrin members were gnashing their teeth at Stephen, getting ready to stone him, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There you have that word full again. And church, what this means is that Stephen is totally controlled by his submission to the Holy Spirit. And here is a man who is so confident in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to care for him, to comfort him, to strengthen him, and to bring him to a glorious end, that he has complete confidence in the Holy Spirit. He is full of the Holy Spirit. This is a man back in Acts chapter 6 verse 3 who is also full of of wisdom. In fact, his wisdom is so profound, it is so beyond argument that when he speaks, his enemies cannot withstand what he says. And in fury and anger, they kill him because they can't argue or they can't answer his arguments. Furthermore, verse 8 says, he is full of grace. Full of grace. And what type of grace is that? Well, church, that could be the grace of salvation. But we all have that when we give our hearts to the Lord. We all have that fully. I think it was something else. I don't think it was the grace that he received. I think it's the grace that he gave. What came out of him was grace. Another way to say it is that he was full of what the Old Testament calls loving kindness. 
And why do I say that? Because if you look at the end of chapter 7, while they're stoning him, he falls on his knees and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, what tender heartedness and, and loving kindness is that? No anger, no vengeance, no violence, no retaliation. This is grace. Even towards those who are killing him in a fury of rage, he could be gracious because he was full of the Holy Spirit. This kind of grace comes out of full faith. This kind of grace is a product of the Holy Spirit. Then it tells us in verse 8 that he was full of power. This is the result of being full of the Holy Spirit. He is full of Holy Spirit power to an apostolic degree. He is performing great wonders and signs among the people. He is actually doing miracles. And of course, this is to validate him as one who, when he speaks, he speaks for God. He was full of all these characteristics. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of wisdom. Full of grace and full of power. What an amazing man. So we see his choosing and we see his character. And number three, let's look at his courage. This is not going to surprise us knowing what we've already seen. This man full of grace, longing from the depths of his heart out of love to reach people with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, met the hostile world head on. He went into the heart of the battle. He preached Jesus as Messiah to the Hellenistic Jews. He confronted them, and it took tremendous courage to do this. He went into their synagogues, right? He didn't invite them for a church service. He went to them. And most, if not all, these devout Jews who, for the most part, they would kill those that opposed their beliefs. Stephen is inside the synagogue of the freed men. And what does he do? He doesn't go and sit back at the synagogue somewhere. He stands up among them. And by the way, I don't think he was an invited preacher. You're right. I don't think he was invited for a weekend conference to, to debate doctrine. He rose up and he argued with them, and they argued back with him. And it was a debate over the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It was a debate over the identity and deity of Jesus, the Son of God. It was a debate over the role of the law. It was a debate about salvation by grace. And Stephen won the debate because of his unparalleled wisdom and because the Spirit was upon him. And by dismissing the saving power of the law of Moses, he was seen as blaspheming Moses. By identifying Jesus as God, he was blaspheming God in their minds. They declared him a blasphemer. And when you think about it, that's exactly what happened to our Lord Jesus, isn't it? So now we understand the picture. He's preaching on the failing exit of the old covenant and the entrance of the new covenant with Jesus and law as Lord and Messiah. And we have to understand that this is as risk-taking and life-threatening as you can get. I mean, he knows that they've, they, the apostles have already been imprisoned and, and beaten. He knows what's at stake. And he knows that it's the Jews that will perpetrate these persecutions. But his courage is unwavering. 
In fact, this is what he says to them in, in chapter 7, verse 51 and 52. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Wow. That's not friendship evangelism there. That's not the feel-good gospel. <laughs> That's heroic. This man is heroic. All these amazing attributes that we can learn from, his choosing, his character, his courage, and finally, point number four, it shows up in his countenance. In chapter 6, verse 15, the final verse of the chapter says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. All these people who wanted to kill him, the infuriated synagogue people, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, the false witnesses, they're accusing him of blasphemy. They are saying that he's evil. They're saying that he's denouncing God and Moses, and he's the one standing there looking angelic. Right? His appearance is as the pure holiness of an angel. I mean, what a rebuke. What a reprimand against those people. And it doesn't say, church, that a light shone around Stephen as it normally did when an angel would appear. He had like a glow on his face. And he looked like he had transcended above it all. All of it. He looked as if he were pure and holy and virtuous. And it was because all of his power in the Holy Spirit, all of his wisdom in the Holy Spirit, all of his grace in the Holy Spirit, and all of his faith, all of it came out on his face. He looked angelic. Only one other time did God ever put his glory on the face of a man. Only once. That's in Exodus chapter 34. And he put it on the face of Moses. After Moses saw the glory of God in Exodus chapter 34 and came down with the law, his face was shining. He was somehow reflecting the glory of God. That's the only time it happened in the Old Testament. And here in the New Testament, while the Jews are accusing Stephen of being a blasphemer, God puts a glow on his face. He stands as Moses did before his people in shining purity with a mark of divine favor on his face. And it's really interesting that he now stands again before the Jewish people, just as Moses did, bringing the law of the Old Covenant he now stands before them with a glow as he brings and explains the law of the new covenant. And church, I want to suggest to you this morning, if I may, that God is still looking for men and women like this to represent him and serve him in his church. People who can be chosen because of their good reputation. People who clearly demonstrate the character of a Stephen, character that is full of faith, full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. God is still looking for people who have courage and boldness that has no limit. He is looking for courageous people to represent Him in the world, to confront the world with His truth, and to receive all that the world throws back of hatred and rejection and persecution and violence, and still stand calmly and peacefully and full of confidence that all is well.
Church, may we be such people who even, who even when rejected and even when persecuted, we rise above it. Because our eyes are fixed on Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And church, I want to say there is both an encouragement and a warning that we can draw from today's message. We can either be encouraged to develop the type of character and courage a man like Stephen had, or we can continue to kick against the goads. Kicking against the goads, by the way, means you're continually doing something that brings you nothing but pain. There's always a choice in life, isn't there? God says, I put before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. And there are some of you sitting here today and, and those of you listening online that will take this message to heart and do whatever is necessary to start developing this type of character that we heard about today and become mighty warriors and servants for the Lord. But there are others that will kick against this type of change and this type of correction because of rebelling in their hearts. Even if there is no argument to motivate that rebellion. And I want to say to you today in closing, stop playing around with God's long-suffering and God's grace of your life. Even though Stephen spoke the truth and his face was like that of an angel, they still rejected him and rejected the truth. And some of you will hear the Word of God every week. Learn about our amazing Savior and His promises over your life and still reject Him and His truth. And I don't know who this is for today, church, but stop playing with grace. Church, God wants us to be encouraged by the story of His patience and long-suffering with a rebellious people. That He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. He is not eager to punish. He is eager to forgive and to move on with repentant and humble people. If you read the first part of Stephen's sermon to the Sanhedrin, he explains the long-suffering of God to his people. God is long-suffering in our rebellion. But God also wants to warn us that there is an end to his patience. There is a resistance to the Holy Spirit so long and so far that God hands a person over into the power of his own sin. You see this in the words of Stephen in verse 42. God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. So the second way that God wants to minister to us today is to awaken us to the gracious truth that we can resist him so long and want other things so much more than we want Him, and put our trust in everything else but Him, that He finally turns away, stops convicting, stops giving the gracious feelings of guilt, and hands us entirely over to our sin. And ultimately, the demonic gods like Moloch and Rephan mentioned in verse 43. Church, we have many exemplary examples in the Bible of amazing men and women who developed character that led to Christ's likeness, and they turned the world upside down. And they all had a choice before them. They had a choice of life or death, blessing or cursing. And they chose life in Jesus Christ. 
Yes, Stephen's choice of life led to his death. But let me tell you, church, it's only when we find what he found that we really begin living. Choose life this morning. Choose correction. Choose character. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us an opportunity to meet this amazing man, the man with the face of an angel. Lord, we acknowledge that you are still looking for men and women like that who can be chosen because of their character and courage to represent you in the world, to confront the world with the truth and to receive all that the world throws back of hatred and rejection and persecution and violence and stand in transcendent calm and peace full of confidence that all is well because you are God. May we be such people, Lord, who even when rejected and even when persecuted and even when hated, that we rise above it. And may Christ be seen through us as we continually give him glory. Lord, thank you for a wonderful time together today in your presence. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.